through a um, the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We um, have taken a look at a person who worshipped in faith, even though it ultimately cost him his life. And then we came to a man who walked with God in faith. And then we went to a man who not only walked with God in faith, in obedience to that faith, worked for about a hundred years to build an ark in preparation of a flood that no one ever had seen before, but he had believed God and continued on. And then we took a look at the beginning of Abraham's life, who at that time was called Abram. And how God had asked him, in essence, to take a walk, to walk from where he was to a land that he was going to show him and ultimately give him, and then made a promise to him, even though he was at that time childless, married to a barren woman and advanced in age, God said that if you can count the stars in the sky, you will be able to count your descendants. And he believed God. Now we've come to another person and who there are those who say she isn't really in the Hall of Fame, that the translation is such as that it still continues to talk about Abraham and not Sarah. I disagree with that. I think that the Hall of Fame is including Sarah. But if it does not, I'm going to show you where she indeed belongs in that hall. And then we're going to talk about a, a woman who isn't in the Hall of Fame, has been given fame for the wrong reasons by many denominations and other um, religious branches who view her not that who she was, but something different. And so in Genesis chapter 18, we're going to see this person. So it says in verse 1, Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day, when he lifted up his eyes, he looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself down. And he said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves and that you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, go do as, as you have said. Now, this is in the context. This are three heavenly travelers who are passing by and Abraham prevails upon them to stop in their journey, rest, eat, and then proceed on. And in the context of this, we will see that they're going to go on to Sodom and Gomorrah. Before this event happened, God had told Abram that he was changing his name to Abraham because he was going to be a father of many nations. And he was going to change 
Sarai's name to Sarah because she was going to be the mother of nations. And Abraham laughed at that thought. He laughed because he was approximately about 100 years old, 99, 100, right at that point. And his wife was 10 years younger, so that would have made her 89, 90. And that whole idea, if you will, if you put yourselves in, in his position, that seems to be an impossibility. Because not only is she advanced in age, she's been barren their entire marital life. Now, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 21. The verse, three verses. Then the Lord took note of Sarah. And he said, and the Lord did for Sarah that he had promised. So I want you to, to understand what was going on. When those three heavenly visitors came, they had told Sarah, that, well, they had told Abraham that Sarah would conceive and bear a son one year from them, not more than one year from them. So again, they come back and make that prediction again. Sarah will hear it, and Sarah will laugh. And then they will tell Sarah, why'd you laugh? And she tries to deny it and says, I, I, I didn't laugh. But they said, yes, she did. And they said, therefore, you're to name the child Isaac, which means to laugh. Now, again, I want you to put your mind in Sarah's point of view. She's just heard three heavenly travelers tell them that she is going to be pregnant and deliver a child within one year, which means because human babies take nine months to gestate in the the womb, that she has to get pregnant in three months. And not only will she be pregnant in three months, she will deliver not just a child, but a son. And so she's thinking, you're kidding me, right? And she, but she de denies it. Now, most people give Sarah a hard time because she laughs. Well, she did nothing more than what Abraham, her husband, did previously. So if we're going to say he's a great person of faith, then the fact that she left doesn't disqualify her. She's looking at reality. But they're going to ask her a question that we need to ask ourselves. Because usually what we do is we make this in the form of a statement, and they're going to ask a question. So they ask a question of Sarah, is there anything too hard for God? And when we come in our lives and we think, I don't, Lord, I'm trying to believe, help my unbelief. The question we need to ask ourselves is, is anything too hard for God? Now, again, the problem is, is that we go off in these weird tangents. Several weeks ago, remember, I, I gave the example of saying, that a young girl wanted a pony. 
And she believed with all her heart and all her mind and all her strength that she was going to get a pony, even though no one ever told her to get a pony. Now, it is not too hard for God to deliver a pony. But God never said he's going to deliver a pony. Faith is based on what God says. God said that she was going to deliver a child. That she would be pregnant within the next three months, even though in the previous 90 years she was barren. And even though now her husband was 100 years old. She's taking a look at reality and going, how can this be? And God says, there is nothing too hard for me. So when God tells you to do something, and it seems like there are mountains or valleys or giants or whatever the opposition may be, you go, is there anything too hard for God? And the answer is no. My view is if, if he can speak and the universe exists, then whatever my problem is, he's got it covered. So long as I'm following what he says, not what I want him to say. And so when we come to that point, when we're saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, we need to ask that question of ourselves. Is anything too hard for God? And I think if you walk with God, you'll know the answer is, no, there is nothing. Even a 90-year-old woman. And she could say, you know, I'm 90. Being pregnant is, is not an easy thing for a young person, let alone a 90-year-old. And a lot of people die in childbirth and I'm 90. You know, this could be dangerous. Maybe I don't want to participate. Now I'm going to keep this a G sermon. How I know that Sarah had faith. Because she and Abraham did something that they needed to do for God to do what he needed to do. You see, they walked with God and believed that God would do what he said. And so they did what they needed to do for God to accomplish his statement. And so what happens, if you'll jump down to Genesis chapter 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said. So again, when God takes note of somebody, it doesn't mean that he forgot you. Doesn't mean that he found a sticky note on his refrigerator that said, oh, you know, I made. It's saying now God is going to take action. So God, the Lord took note of Sarah and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age and her old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. God does what God says he's going to do when God says he's going to do it. We keep waiting to say, well, God waits until the nick of time. No, God waits till when he says he's going to do it. It may for us a nick of time, but God comes when God says he's going to do it. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore to him, Isaac. And again, the name Isaac means to laugh. Now, initially you might say, well, the reason he was given that name is to say every time you see him and every time you call him, 
Do you remember the fact that you laughed and that you thought that it was too hard for God? I don't necessarily think so. I also find it interesting that we're in Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They only have one name. So apparently their parents never got mad at them. Because when your parents get mad at you, they use all your names. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, my, my son's, it was Joseph Scott. You know, and when you get all three names, you know, you're in trouble. Well, apparently Isaac was a good kid because he only had one name, Isaac, which means to laugh. But I want you to notice something. And then Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son, Isaac, was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me, not at me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah doesn't look at, at the name Isaac to laugh to mean, oh, God is putting me down. What he's saying is, I'm rejoicing. I have joy that God did what God said he was going to do. And every time I call his name, I'm going to remember the, the happiness of the fact that he's in our lives. And when people hear his name, they're going to rejoice with me and laugh with me because they're going to say, God was able to do what God said, even to a bunch of old people. So if you'll move to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered God faithful who made the promise, not her circumstances. And we need in our faith to say, I am going to believe God, not because of the circumstances, but because of his promise. And she did what no one could ever expect God to do, is to give an old man and an old woman who were barren a child. And do it precisely when God said it would be done. So again, what I want us to see is so oftentimes we look at men and women of faith, or we know of men and women, you know, in, in, in my day, there was Billy Graham, and, and you couldn't imagine Billy Graham, even when he stubbed his toe, would, would ever say a bad word. You just, you just thought he was a saint. And there are certain people in our lives that we just think they are perfect, that they never have a bad day, that they're always trusting God, and that we, on the other hand, always seem to be messing up. The reason why we know we're messing up when we don't think he is is because we live with ourselves. We don't live with him. I'm pretty sure Mrs. Graham had a different opinion. She probably loved him very much and thought he was a great guy, but didn't have the same opinion of him as we do. Because he's not perfect. And if, you, if there's one thing on this hall of, of fame is that you don't have to be perfect. There are times when you go, God, I'm really trying to believe. Help my unbelief. Remember Sarah who laughed, but she did nothing different than Abraham who believed God and was accounted him as righteousness. It says without faith, it is impossible to believe to, 
to please God. Sarah gets there. So just because you've had problems in the past of doubts doesn't mean you can't get into the Hall of Fame of faith. Your past does not disqualify you. Jesus makes you qualified. So she believed God that she could conceive. And she acted upon that belief by doing what was necessary for God to act. Now, God is going to do something even more incredible. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 1. Starting with verse 28. Well, we'll we'll start with verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged. Unfortunately, that's a bad word. It's espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, why is it that I said it's bad? Because in that time, in that culture, there was a two-step process to getting married or being married. In ours, what we do is somebody uh, asks the other person to marry them. In our culture, generally, it is the man, but there have been some uh, where the women just don't want to wait that long and and they uh, propose. But generally, so there's the proposal, but you're not married. You're just engaged. And so that's the problem here. It, It appears that they're in that engagement. But in Mary's time, there was actually a contract that was entered into that you became a spouse. You became legally married. You just didn't live together and become, consummate the marriage. That's why you hear about Jesus using the stories about the bridegroom coming and those types of things. He's coming to get his bride. He's going from the espousal to the actual cohabitation time. So this is where Mary is. So she's technically married, but not with the final process. And coming in, he said to her, this is the angel Gabriel, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. I love her response. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Now me, I'd go, you know, not every day do I see an angel. Why is the angel showing up at my door? But she goes, Huh, I wonder why he's talking to me this way. You know, I'm I'm favored. I'm I'm just I'm just a, a young girl who's a spouse of this guy who's a carpenter. You know, I, I don't live in a king's palace. I'm favored. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. The angel tells her exactly what Isaiah said that we read about. That God is coming and delivering 
his Messiah, and she is going to be the vessel for that to happen. And that because of that, she is going to be favored. And he's also telling her, since she's a virgin, as the scriptures had said, that a virgin will be with child. So in these, these two situations, the angel is telling Mary about the promises of God and that God is going to use her to fulfill those promises. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? She doesn't doubt him per se. She's just going, wait a minute. That's not how it works. I'm a virgin. A virgins don't have children. So I'm not understanding how this will take place. She doesn't doubt. She wants clarification. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Notice here's a statement in Sarah's situation. The question was, is there anything too hard for God? And the answer is no. And this statement is, there is nothing impossible for God. So the fact that you're a virgin doesn't make an obstacle for God. He is going to place his seed and you are going to deliver the son of God. She is not the mother of God. She is the mother of of the one who is coming as Messiah, but he was God, is God, and will always be God. And here's a miraculous statement. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Now I want you to understand, we, we, and we go on. I want you to understand what Mary is doing here. Mary is a spouse. She's married. If she's pregnant, she can be stoned to death for adultery. No one's necessarily going to believe her that she's still a virgin. Joseph, as the scripture says, being a righteous man, doesn't want to do that. I believe he truly loves her. Even in that culture that love wasn't that big a deal, it was contracts and whatever, but he cared for her. So he didn't want to publicly ridicule her or cause her shame and harm. So he decided that he was going to quietly and secretly divorce her. Because after all, she now had been unfaithful. Mary knew all of this. Mary understood the very fact that she was going to be, allow God to use her in this way, that people were going to ridicule her, that people were going to accuse her of being unfaithful, that people were going to say that she had a child that I, I can't say because I'm keeping this a G sermon. But she said, Lord, I'm your slave. Do whatever you will. Most of us, we only want to be bondservants of God 
when great things happen. We want to be Moses on the mountaintop. We don't want to be Moses in the desert when the people are complaining and griping and you're so frustrated you hit the rock the second time. All of us want to be Daniel until you get thrown into the lion's den. And then we say, well, you know, God delivered him, but didn't know that then. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who get thrown into the fire. There's an, our God's able to deliver us. There's nothing too hard for God. But we're still not going to worship your gods. If he burns us up, he burns us up. There is this sense of saying, I am going to do what God wants me to do, and I don't care the cost. So I know I'm a guy. And women tend to think the fact that she delivered the Messiah, she is favored and whatever. And from all the way back to Eve, when Seth was born, she was thinking the Messiah was coming. So it has been something the the women of God have been hoping for and expecting to be that one who delivered the Messiah. I'm impressed with the fact that she says, I don't care the cost. Use me. And in this world, we as disciples need to also say, I am the bondservant of the Lord. Do as you will. When he called Paul, he called Paul and we think how Paul was great and he wrote three quarters of the New Testament and and how he had this zeal for the Lord and all these types of things. But even Paul said to one, I need to show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. You see, following God doesn't necessarily mean your life is beautiful. Your life is beautiful because by faith, we see where we're going, not the course that we get there. And we see that we're walking with him, and that's a beautiful journey. It may be filled with potholes and landmarks and, just, and hatred and whatever, but we're still walking with him. So, today, I don't necessarily know what God has called you to do but I know what he's called us to do individually in the group to be his witnesses, to declare not only his birth, but his life, his ministry, his teaching, his death, his burial, his resurrection and his return. That's what we're called to do. Now you may be called to be the next Billy Graham, or you may be called to be the next Mother Teresa, or whatever God has called you to be, or maybe just God has called you to be the best few sitter that there's ever been. I, whatever God has called you to be, but he's also called you to be a witness to him. But you don't understand. The world hates Christians. Yeah, okay. Tell me when they didn't hate the people of God. Tell me when they didn't hate, not hate Jesus. He has called us to declare him. 
He has called us to do that until he comes again. Which is one of the reasons we're singing Joy to the World twice. Joy to the World is a Christmas song, but it's not a Christmas song. Actually, it's about his second coming. So when we, later in the service, when we sing Joy to the World, think about his second coming, not his first. We, want, we rejoice and sing about his first coming, but let us rejoice and sing about his second coming because that is a statement of faith that we believe that even though the world may be seeming to go X in a handbasket, he's still Lord of heaven and earth. So in a moment, we are going to sing a hymn that says, Go, tell it on a mountain. It is, if you will, almost a Christmas song, but it is one that is applicable 365 days and on leap year 366 days of the year, that we are to go and tell it on the mountain and in the valley and in the cities and in the country and in our homes and in our relatives and in our friends and in our enemies, whoever we come into contact, we are to tell them and we are to do so because we are bond slaves of his. And this is something he has asked all of us to do. So many people want to know, well, I want to know what God's will for me in my life. Here's one, be a witness. But I don't have any theological degrees. That's fine. You simply can say, as a one man who was blind, and they're asking him about what he thought, he says, you know, I don't know all about that. I do know this. I was once blind, but now I see. If that's all the witness you can do, it's still a powerful testimony. So stand with me as we sing, go. Tell it on the mountain.